Welcome to the Zappos.com podcast, where we strive to inspire, communicate, educate, and entertain. I actually moved out to Las Vegas to play poker back in 2005, um, and I've had I would say I've had gambling in my blood for a while. Uh, in in middle school and high school, I played a lot of pool, which uh, there's uh, there's gambling associated in that, and and uh, so I don't know how my parents let me, but they let me hang out in smoky pool halls. I think maybe they knew I was a good kid and wouldn't get in too much trouble, um, and so they let me do that, and then that turned into stumbling upon poker with some of that same crew and then that ultimately led me to Las Vegas and that ultimately led me to Zappos and that ultimately led me to uh, Jenna, my wife, and that ultimately led to my first child coming along the way. So, um, <laughs> so life is an interesting journey. Support for the Zappos podcast comes from Zappos Expertise, where you can leverage Zappos experts to propel your business to the next level growth. Find out more information at zappos.expertise.com. This new series of our podcast episodes will be focusing on stories from the newly released The Power of Wow book, which is essentially the follow-up to Tony Shea's best-selling Delivering Happiness book. We'll be sharing stories from Zappos employees from every part of the organization, powerful lessons they have learned during their tenure here about business and about life. I'm Jean Markell, and on today's episode, I'm chatting with John Bunch, who focuses on organizational systems and is an advisor to the CEO at Zappos.com. Thanks for being here today, John. Thanks for having me, Jean. Organizational systems sounds super sexy, by the way. Um, can you tell our listeners a bit more about that? Yeah. So at Zappos, we're on the journey of how do we become a company that's around in a thousand years? which is a very aspirational. So when, you, when people get to my age is what you're saying. <laughs> Got it. Okay, perfect. Uh, that's very aspirational. Most companies in today's day and age are dying at ever and ever younger rates, actually. Um, and so we want to buck that trend by being around in a thousand years. So I help to develop the systems and practices that will hopefully allow us to be that thousand year company. So I'm going to, in the future, uh, instead of that particular title, I'm going to say John Bunch Trend Bucker. There you go. Perfect. Okay. Uh, well, let's pivot back a bit. So how long have you been at Zappos and what type of role were you hired in initially for? So I've been at Zappos almost 10 years uh, and I was hired in as a software developer. Um, and through strange twists and turns, I would have never imagined, uh, if you asked me back then, what I would be doing in 10 years, uh, doing what I'm doing now. So um, it's been a really fun ride. So, um, unfortunately for our viewers, excuse me, our listeners, you cannot actually picture John right now, but when John is talking about a strange ride, and today is Halloween in, you know, the long Neverland before this recording gets, re you know, released in the wild, John is actually dressed as Elsa and has some kind of crazy face paint on, so we will leave that at that. How do you think having a dev background helps you in other ways in your day-to-day -day work? Well, well, great question, right, John? See? Gene, that is such I a mean, good question. My goodness. <laughs> um, I think one of the big things that comes to mind for me is that in software development, you have a quick iteration and development cycles. So uh, you're able to put something out there that you know may not be the right thing right away, but you can uh, iterate on that and, and try new things uh, every day, potentially, until you find one that really works for the customer. Um, and so, so an MVP model for you, for you in that 
particular mindset is something you're just used to doing, basically. Exactly, exactly. And so I think that carries over to a lot of the different things that we try at Zappos as far as our organizational structure goes. We know we don't have all the right answers, and we know that we need to try a bunch of things to figure out what are the things that truly add value to our customers, uh, which is both external customers and employees internally. Um, and so having that background and mindset, I think, has been really beneficial. And then kind of, to on the other side of that coin, so for you personally, that's been beneficial. Um, do you... Um I don't know what the word is. Is it frustration? Is it impatience? But is that hard for you sometimes, though, in all sincerity, when we are um, making these big organizational changes and we have to try little pieces? Um, is that hard for you if others that you are working with don't have that same mindset of, like, let's just get something out. It doesn't have to be perfect and experiment? It can be, although I think I also try to have a lot of patience in anything that we do because I do understand that a lot of these changes are really impactful and, and hard for people to understand oftentimes. And so, uh, you know, one of the first big initiatives that I did about five or six years ago was our transition into Holacracy. And that was a year plus long, uh, organizational transition and, and not just a year because it took even more years for people to fully understand it and and uh, be able to leverage it. And so I had to continue to remind myself that change is a journey for people, and it's your job to be there to support that journey, whatever step they're on. And so, um, you know, I think that also layers into my approach. Got it. So I'm, I'm moving from that hard-hitting question to something that I saw specifically in the power of, of WOW book. So um, I don't want to stereotype, you know, people with a certain type of focus tech, um, but you did mention in the power of WOW book that you would likely wear the same pair of unwashed jeans every day for five years if it wasn't true, if it wasn't for your wife. Um, so is that like an engineer thing? And again, for our listeners, I am sitting next to John. So I'm, I'm hoping that the jeans he has on have not been worn for five years straight. So, um, yeah, I don't know Either if it's an engineer. Either dispel that myth or. Oh, it's a true thing. But okay. my wife does grab them and wash them. So you're, you're okay. 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 Um, I don't know if it's an engineer thing or just a male thing, thing. or, okay. um, uh, what it is, but yeah, I mean. Jeans seem to stay clean for a long time, as long as you oh don't spill God. ketchup on them. I'm just so glad you're married. I mean, I love your wife, <laughs> but I'm, that, that makes me happy. Yeah. Um, so aside from the sexy organizational systems role, again, you also uh, have a role as an advisor to Tony, which uh, you and I do hold a similar role, though we definitely have you know different focuses, the, the way we energize that work. So one of the things that I personally find um, super interesting in working with Tony um, is that he's such a forward thinker. And basically always seems to have a vision that's so very far ahead of many others. Um, so how do you find that you excel at working on tools and processes for a future state, which by definition doesn't yet exist? I think the, there was a question in there. I wasn't just, a, you know, <laughs> yeah. soliloquy. Of, you yeah. Know. I think the, the challenge, and I say challenge in that way and being positive sure. uh, in working with Tony is that he is a forward thinker. And so the challenge becomes, how do you translate that very forward looking vision into something that's manageable and understandable um, by all of our employees, our 1500 people here at Zappos. And, and so that's what I try to do both in terms of, 
the education around whatever the vision is and in terms of the systems that we use to actually achieve that vision. Um, and so that's a challenge, but but I would say it's better than the opposite of that. Sure. In, in that having a CEO that doesn't have a vision for where, you know, they want to take the company, um, that would be terrible, right? Right. Of course. Yes, it would. Definitely. So, you know, kind of talking about organizational change in particular. So it's certainly our organization here at Zappos has changed dramatically as far as our structure and our day-to-day than it was in 2006 when I started. And I know you started just a few years after that. So, um, you know, we obviously have listeners who are not familiar with holacracy and self-organization. But can you give kind of an overview for folks that don't understand those two concepts so they can kind of have a better understanding? Yeah. So for us, Holacracy was all about, as we grew the company, there was this real sense that we lost our adaptability in in our ability to be agile. Um, Things that used to, in I think Tony's mind and many others, things that used to be able to happen overnight were taking months and months and months to get done. Um, And so we realized that was a challenge that was created as we started to scale. And so Holacracy was one of the one of the things that we brought in to help with something called self-organization, which is really this mindset of enabling groups of people to self-organize around challenges that they sense. Um, and so, so they can sense and respond is what you're saying, John. Yeah, yeah they can okay. sense and respond. So <laughs> people sense challenges uh, or opportunities that exist within Zappos. Maybe it's how we are answering phone calls, or maybe it's this particular uh, widget on the website is not working the way that it should, Um, can self-organize around those challenges and get the work done. And it breaks away from kind of the traditional hierarchy where every person reports up to one manager, and it creates it more around the work that needs to get done to solve the challenges that people are sensing in the organization. Um, that was actually a really good way of summarizing that briefly, which I know from trying myself personally, <laughs> it's, it's, it's challenging. It's not like it's, if it's when people say an elevator speech, I'm like, it's a really long elevator. I mean, it must be, we're going to the hundredth floor. So um, you mentioned um, the aspect of quote unquote reporting to one manager. And one of the things for me, I know for me personally, um, you may not share this, you don't have to, but that I found really cool about holacracy was that even if people were to keep um, the focus of most of their work was being energized in their quote unquote day job, what they had before, but they now had the ability to take on lots of new small roles and other teams um, that could be completely unrelated to their previous skill set and, you know, their, their core role. So can you talk about any of these types of roles that you may have taken on in your journey that you found were particularly interesting because you really hadn't had the ability or the time to focus on them in the past? Yeah. I mean, so when I talk about what it's like to be at Zappos, it really transformed the job ladder into a job jungle gym is the kind of the... Mm-hmm idea I like to use, where you can search around for different opportunities. Yeah, for me, you know, I've gotten to start working on tools, software tools. So actually, what's interesting is I started as a software developer, transitioned out of that into a completely, uh, completely focused around organizational design. And now I'm back uh, working on software tools to help do that organizational design. We have two called the CFO tool and Huzzah, um, and I'm excited about working on both of those. And so, and that just comes from sensing the opportunities that are out there and, and uh, you know, going out there and trying to achieve them. Well, welcome back to the, you know, the <laughs> software developer role. Um, you know, the names for roles in circles are often pretty creative. So do you have a favorite? 
Um, well, you've, you've dropped the, the word sexy a few times. Well, I'm sitting in a room with John Bunch, for God's <laughs> sakes. I mean, how does that not happen? So uh, one of the circles that I lead is called Sexy Infrastructure. No, do tell. <laughs> Um, and it wasn't always called sexy infrastructure. Uh, it was initially just called infrastructure, um, but that doesn't really sound sexy. So I think Tony had the idea of just adding the word sexy onto the front. Um, and has it been effective? Has it made that work just that much more dynamic I, I and think exciting? It has. Yeah, okay. it really has. Scintillating. <laughs> but often, I do often get asked the question, why is it called sexy infrastructure exactly? I mean, if nothing else, it's a conversation starter. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to pivot a bit slightly. I also, um, you know, I heard uh, a recording with you talking about how uh, you are a professional poker player and you're in all your downtime, or maybe the IRS shouldn't hear that, but you dabble. You dabble in... I report my earnings, Okay. Jean <laughs> okay. All right. So you are officially, <laughs> you are a licensed professional <laughs> poker player. Um, so in full disclosure, I have not played much poker in my life, but um, so I'm definitely a neophyte. But I'm curious, what are some of the specific things or learnings um, during, you know, becoming a, a better poker player that you think can actually help to build life skills? They don't necessarily have to be work skills, but like, what are some of those parallels? Well, one of them I think is around expected value. So in poker, you make strategic wagers that don't always work out, um, but do have some sort of expected value. Um, and so I think bringing that inside of the business context, if you are able to diversify what you're doing and try doing different things, having that same framework around what you're really trying to optimize is your long-term expected value. And you might try some things that probably aren't going to work, but man, if they do, they're going to be really, really great. Um, and other but you may not bet the house on it, huh? <laughs> ah, see what I did there? <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I think that is one thing that bringing that into the business context is really valuable. Um, and I've seen other people struggle with, you know, like they're not willing to try something that they think has a high probability of failure. Um, and you wouldn't want to always do th those sorts of things, but in calculated, you know, calculated risk taking is something that is valuable. For sure, that makes sense. Um, so jumping back to self organization now, um, you did give us a bit of a foundation, but um, I do think it would be interesting to have you explain a bit more about how that's led us to our our current focus at Zappos of developing, you know, a much more networked organization with a focus on. on internal entrepreneurism. Um, and, you know, there's a term that uh, we get $5 every time we say around here, MBD, which is market-based dynamics. Um, and I know you've been obviously very focused on that, but I'm guessing many of our listeners don't know about that. So here's your next chance. Give your synopsis of market-based dynamics. Yeah. So when we were talking about Holacracy, I talked about how it was self-organizing around the work. One of the components with Holacracy that is not very self-organized is resource allocation. So that was still done top-down based on the circle structure or the team structure uh, that existed within Holacracy. And we and that's a, that, that's that third-party system that, so in other words, when Zappos signed on to a Holacracy, if you will, maybe that's not the right term, we basically bought into using that type of a top-down resource allocation. Right. And that's what's in Holacracy by default. And you can actually change that if you want to, um, which we kind of have with market-based dynamics. So we realized that that top-down resource allocation was not really allowing us to do full self-organization because, you know, I, I think Tony's perspective was as 
the lead link of the broadest circle at Zappos, I have no idea what's going on, you know, six levels down. How am I supposed to accurately try to figure out how much that group should be investing? Um, and so we started thinking about how can we make it more self-organized? And there are a lot of things out in the outside world that are very self-organized. Markets are self-organized. Um, there's no king that is telling every company uh, in, in a market how much they should spend on stuff. They're listening to the market demand um, and responding to the market demand. And so that's essentially what we're doing with our resource allocation under market-based dynamics. Each circle is like a micro enterprise uh, and they have customers that they provide value to, value to either internally to Zappos or externally to outside customers. Um, and they create service agreements and just like any business would. Um, and they have a P&L, a profit and loss. And as long as they're able to balance their profit and loss, that's how they know they're succeeding in the marketplace. Got it. Um, so speaking to the need to balance kind of the freedom and responsibility that you had mentioned previously. So I know, um, again, I feel like of this interview of all the folks I'm talking to, it's the most need for like explaining terms and things that um, I'm literally re realizing right now have just become a part of our daily life <laughs> lexicon, but aren't for some of our listeners. So um, at the risk of making you feel like you're a dictionary, but I really think it would be helpful to know uh, the triangle of accountability is something we talk about a lot internally here at Zappos, which, um, you know, talks about some of those balances. Can you can you expand on that and tell our listeners what that triangle is and how we look at it? Yeah. So. The, the catchphrase for the triangle of accountability is the minimum number of constraints to allow the maximum amount of freedom and accountability. So Ooh, again, what, rolls off the tongue. What does that mean? So organizational, <laughs> sexy. Okay, got it. Yeah. So what does that mean? Well, so there's three sides of the triangle. One is our culture and core values. So everything that we do needs to lie within our culture and core values. Uh, the second is customer-focused mindset. So everything that we do needs to have a differentiator that where a customer feels that sense of wow that our Zappos brand is uh, associated with. And the third is that bit about uh, balance. each circle needs to balance its P&L or essentially be financially sustainable in whatever they do. And so what we've said with the triangle of accountability is you can do anything you want at Zappos, literally anything you want, as long as those three constraints are uh, maintained. Um, and so it creates a very simple guidepost for people to think about what should they or shouldn't they be doing. Um, and we have education around each of those three components. So the way we think about the triangle is that each of the three sides needs to, needs to be met at the same time. There's not one side that's more important than the other side. So everything that you do needs to fall within the triangle of accountability, which is bounded by those three sides. Excellent. And I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm projecting myself into a poker room, a back to a poker room now that we're having this, this particular part of the conversation. But, you know, not all people think of themselves as entrepreneurs. So obviously there's a focus on encouraging that entrepreneurism and creative thought and, you know, some amount of risk taking within Zaponian. So what if I'm a Zaponian who doesn't feel that I have this multi-billion dollar business idea or I don't feel like I have the confidence to risk it all and try something new. So how does MBD apply to me? I think each circle has its own risk profile. So there are some circles that are doing some job function that have been around Zappos for a long time and will be for a long time in the future. I'll take our CLT or call center as an example. 
customers call in. Uh, they have been for the past you know 20 years since we've been around, and they will be uh, into the future. So I think that has a very low risk profile. If you're starting something new, obviously there's a higher risk profile to that. Um, and so I think for people, they have to figure out their own course here. Do they want to do something that's very... Uh, safe and has been around for a while? Or do they want to do something where there might be an element of, of risk to it? And either of those two things is fine. And I think every person just has to kind of find their own way through that. Now, do you see when you're talking about risk and testing and experimentation, um, but self-admittedly, as we start that, not all of those are going to work. So do you view that as failure or you just view that as a part of the process? No, I view it actually a success um, because in order for us to be agile um, and nimble, we have to try things and we have to figure out which of those uh, works and which doesn't. What would be failure is if we didn't, there's different ways to fail. One would be if we didn't try anything, that would be failure. Um, the other would be if we tried things and continued to do those things even after signals that those weren't necessarily the right things to do. So I think as long as we're trying things and we have feedback me mechanisms to understand which of those things are truly adding value to the organization and which are not, that's success. So you're talking about, um, obviously, uh, clear value. It's something that can be measured. That's easy to understand. You spoke about the triangle of accountability and one of those legs on that, you know, that 180-degree triangle um, was culture and, and core values. So can you, you know, can you talk to me a little bit about how you find, how you feel personally that the move to a more market-based system actually can help build a stronger culture here at Zappos? If there are some that might be fearful of that move, how do you address that? How do you think that this actually can strengthen us as a group? I think creating a robust ecosystem of circles that can add value and can solve challenges for teams um, will is and we've already started to see it is creating this community or ecosystem where you know if you're looking to get something done there's two or three teams at Zappos that might be able to help you on that and it's really cool to be able to send a quick email and and get somebody who can help you on your project or task um, whereas in the old system with this top-down resource allocation, you might need to get three levels of approval in order to have a team work on a particular task. Um, and that's just not really how it works in the outside world. If, if you've got some, some, something that you're trying to do and you're willing to pay to get that done, there's going to be somebody who will raise their hand and say, yeah, I would love to do that for you. And creating that, I think, is going to create a much, um, actually help us grow stronger and make more connections internally. Well, I, I mean, I think a lot of what we've been talking about are topics that um, uh, that you and I may sit in a lot of meetings and talk about all the time. But mm -hmm. even for our Zappos employees, not all of them have that same level of exposure. And I think it's been really helpful to have you kind of go down this path of, of us kind of breaking these down into p smaller pieces and talking about them. So hopefully that gives some clarity for folks. So um, what else should I know, John? Is there anything else that you would like to leave our, our listeners with as we wrap up? Uh, anything about your Zappos journey or anything new that may be about to happen in your life? <laughs> 
sounds like you're teeing me up for something, Jean. I don't know, John. I mean, it, it, like well, I said, it can be anything. This is your time. Yeah. Well, uh, I am about to, or I am expecting my first child, me and my wife, Jenna. Excellent. Probably by the time this podcast airs, we will... You never know. It's possible. <laughs> our due date is November 5th, uh, and we'll be welcoming in Colin Dean Bunch. Ooh, uh, is his will be his name, so we're excited about that. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today, John. And, and um, uh, this has been—it's actually been very helpful for me. I've learned some things from from you today, and hopefully, our listeners have as well. Thanks for having. Support for the Zappos podcast comes from Zappos Expertise, where you can leverage Zappos experts to propel your business to the next level growth. Find out more information at zappos.expertise.com.